Emmy Award-winning producer, actor, and comedian Larry Wilmore is back on the air, hosting a podcast where he weighs in on the issues of the week and interviews guests in the world of politics, entertainment, culture, sports, and beyond. Check out Larry Wilmore Black on the Air on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing two dope screenwriters, my brother Sherman Payne and Shukri Tillman. But before I get to Sherman and Shukri, I wanted to commend President Biden and Vice President Harris on the passage of the American Rescue Plan. In case you missed it this past weekend, the Senate passed President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID rescue package, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal because there's a lot in there that we've all said we need. If you're a single filer making up to $80,000 or a household that files jointly and makes less than $160,000, a figure that encompasses about 85% of Americans, you're getting $1,400 and an additional $1,400 for each dependent. It extends unemployment insurance through September 6th and provides $300 a week in addition to what your state provides. There's also a dramatic expansion of the child tax credit for parents out there where most Americans will receive a tax credit of $3,000 for each child between 6 and 17, and $3,600 for each child between 0 and 6. There's $350 billion for state and local government, so that's money to keep our public employees and our first responders paid. Billions for buying and developing more vaccines, such that every American will have access to a vaccine by June 1st. There's $130 billion for reopening our schools safely. There's billions of dollars for relief for small businesses. In short, this bill gets money to the people and institutions who need it most. But there are some voices that will make this bill about what's not in it, namely a minimum wage increase, student debt relief, and $2,000 stimulus checks instead of the $1,400 ones in the bill. While I would have loved $2,000 and debt forgiveness and a minimum wage increase, I also understand that what passed was what we had the votes for. And what we had the votes for was a damn good bill. 
And I won't make the perfect be the enemy of the good, especially when you're facing a country that is desperate for relief. We don't have the luxury of waiting for a perfect bill. And there's a political reality here. And that's that as much as we fought for these issues, particularly student debt relief and a $15 minimum wage, we don't have 50 Democratic votes for it. And while electing Senators Ossoff and Warnock got us a majority, it didn't get us a consensus within the Democratic Party around these two issues. Look no further than the eight Democrats and independent Senators Manchin, Sinema, Testa, Shaheen, Hassan, Coons, Carper, and King that voted against raising the minimum wage. I'd imagine a similar group of moderate Democrats opposed student debt relief. And moving forward, it's those Democrats we need to be applying pressure on on these issues as well as President Biden himself. I know Twitter wants you to believe that the problem is Vice President Harris and the Senate parliamentarian, but they're wrong. And that's that on that. Now on to our episode with Sherman Payne and Shakreed Tillman. So welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. Today, I have two of the most talented brothers that we know out here, Sherman Payne and Shakree Tillman. What's going on, fellas? How are y'all? Hello. Doing great, great brother. Thank yeah. you for having us. Man, you're just making it through COVID. I know. We start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And y'all both have been in the game for some time now. I want each of you to talk to me about how you each decided to get into screenwriting and why you both chose the side of the camera that you chose. I'll start with you, uh, Sherman. So, you know, I think I've always been a natural storyteller, man. I've always been a really great I like liar. that humility. I like that humility. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> One thing you'll learn about me is that uh, humility is not where, that's not where I traffic. That's uh, not where you live. Yeah. You know, I've always, I've always loved to tell stories. And uh, when I was in high school, I started messing around with video production and that led to me studying filmmaking in college, which led to me studying screenwriting in grad school. And that's really, really where I fell in love with it. So it was an easy choice for me because I wake up every day and love to do it. Definitely. Talk to me, Shakri. What tell me about tell me about how you ended up where you are from high school? He said he found it the passion. He found the passion in high school. Where'd you find yours? How'd you end up where you are? A little bit later. I mean, I I like Sherman, you know, wrote stories as a as a kid. Um, but had no concept of that being, a, you know, a path for to make a living. Uh, I didn't know anything about film school or studying anything like that until I was late into high school. I was not part of the AV club or anything like that. I mainly just wanted to play collegiate basketball. That didn't happen. I found out late in the game that there was a thing called uh, studying film. I decided to do that. I went to NYU thought I was going to be a director or, you know, something like that. I thought agents were going to be lining up in my door uh, at graduation, three, four, <laughs> maybe five, six. None of that happened. And so, so then after college, when I worked a bunch of jobs at Amazon and waiting tables and selling shoes and working construction, somewhere in there, I said, well, I want to try to do something that's free and that I can express myself creatively. And writing really came to the forefront because all it needed was a pen and a pad and an idea. Uh, and from that, I started to sort of like backtrack my way into screenwriting, though I had been to an undergraduate film school. And lo and behold, I, I, I focused on that and then eventually went to graduate school and then eventually sort of got a break. Let, let's get into your podcast, The Diversity Hires. Yes. What is your the podcast about for our listeners? 
who may have never heard about this podcast before? Well, it's first of all, it's the greatest screenwriting podcast of all time. That's the first thing. And, and we're going to go. We're, we're going to go with that humility again. I love this. This is like I, I feel like I'm talking to myself right now. This, this is motivation. <laughs> hey, man! If you're not going to do it for yourself, who's going to do it for you? Uh, but it's a podcast about screenwriting while black. You know, we talk about all of the issues that come with screenwriting across the board, but we always try to filter it through our point of view, which uh, you know, as two young black screenwriters in the game. So, I mean, for people who are less familiar with the term diversity hire, beyond the obvious, what does the diversity hire mean in Hollywood? I mean, talk to me about what the difference and juxtapose that Hollywood environment versus what we know in our everyday workforce. Well, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a term that goes sort of crosses a bunch of different things. But in general, the diversity hire, what it actually is, is, uh, you know, studios, networks, whoever generally have these programs where they allow for, especially in television, but it, it goes for features too, where they allow for a certain staff member to be hired uh, from a protected class, from a diversity class. And um, that person is generally known, and that, that person is paid by the studio, not out of the show's budget in television. And that person is generally known as the diversity hire. Of course, this happens in other industries as well, but as far as uh, television writing in particular, this is where it comes from. The sort of double-edged sword of it is that um, sometimes that can be a blessing and a curse. You get a job, it's a way in, but sometimes that comes with a quite unfair label that you're just an optional hire or you're just sort of the, um, uh, you got that job because you're from a protected they, class. Sounds not like because, the, the right. affirmative action hire, right? And that what they call yeah, exactly. it? Exactly. Let me let me so, ask y'all this question. I, this has been on my mind for a little while, especially in preparing for uh, today's interview with both of you guys. Do you guys feel any pressure? Are there any plot lines or character elements you avoid when you're writing for black characters? Or do you feel any added pressure when you're telling black stories or writing for black characters? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think we all know the stereotypes that uh, have existed in the past and still exist today. And those can sometimes be hard to avoid when you're when you're starting off and you're chasing jobs. But what I try to do every single time I come out the gate, especially when I'm writing black characters, is to, you know, depict fully formed human beings, really mm -hmm. three dimensional characters who have their own hopes, goals, dreams. And so that, you know, the, the audience can really relate to their humanity rather than them just being flat on the page as a stereotype. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you're not writing any... Uh what was that, Jerry Rice, uh, when he had the bucket of chicken that he was, I don't know if y'all saw when he had the Hillman and the bucket of chicken no. in his mouth. No. <laughs> no. Y'all didn't see that that commercial? We're going to have to, I'm going to have to make sure we send that to you. Didn't they, they have, uh, didn't they have Mary J also doing a, a chicken commercial for uh, they had, Burger they had, they had Mary J doing a chicken commercial. Was <laughs> this the chicken leave, fries thing? Yeah, the chicken fries thing. Okay. Y'all leave, y'all leave Mary alone. <laughs> Let me ask you this question, maybe a little bit tougher question. Uh, yeah. do, you, do either of you feel like in order for a black character to be authentic for black audiences that a black writer has to write for that character? And I guess the flip side to that question is, have you seen white writers effectively develop what you felt was an authentic black character? This is an easy one for me. Yeah, yeah for me too. I want, but I want to hear, but I want to hear both of y'all. Go ahead. Go, show. Go. Well, to answer the first question, no, you don't have to be um, black to represent a authentically 
uh, black character, you have to be a good. Can I curse on this or no? Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, for sure. You have to be a good fucking writer. I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's number one. Um, if you could only write people that look and sound like you and the people that look and sound like people in your house, you're not a good fucking writer. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse my language. So that's first. Um, is there something that a black writer would bring to a black character, a certain authenticity and knowledge that other people may not be able to bring? Of course, you write things that are close to you, of course. Um, so, yes, but it's not it would not be exclusive to that. That would be preposterous to suggest that. Um, is there an example? I mean, you know, we know that The Wire, for example, was a, a room that was full of white writers. Talk about um, it. Um, and, and so that's and that's a pretty authentic depiction of of baltimore at that time so and lots of black characters that people remember so go ahead and i'll add you know i'll add that listen there's 40 million of us and so not one writer can even if you're black you can't encompass the entire black experience because it's so diverse and it's so large so i totally agree with uh what shakri just said you know and i also want the opportunity as a black writer to write all the different kind of characters that i want to write as well which isn't (laughs) You know, oftentimes for me, it's black characters. That's what I really love to write about. But I just came off two seasons of the show Shameless, which is about poor white people in Chicago. And I had a blast writing those people. I've never personally been a poor white person in Chicago, but it was a lot of fun for me to write. And I think I did a good job. So totally. I want to co-sign what Shakri just said, because I I agree with that. Yo, can I make one other point? Man, please do. Hop in. Most black writers, not even most, I'm just going to say all. Black writers in Hollywood or who have been paid to write in this business typically write characters, more characters that aren't black than they write. And they do that well because we can we can write. Do you know what I mean? So I mean, you got to you got to run faster out there, too, and jump higher. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. So let me let's talk about some of the projects you're on, because I want to get I want to get into your imaginations a little bit, because I know that. You know, some of the stuff that I see people writing, I'm like, man, how high were they when they wrote this? This is good. You got to be in a special place to, to get there. But but Sherman, you wrote the screenplay for Charm City Kings, a critically yes. acclaimed project about a black kid coming of age in Baltimore. Why did you write that story? And talk to me specifically about doing a coming of age film for a black kid, because coming of age films for black kids are few and far between. Yeah. You know, um, well, thank you for saying all those nice words about the movie. You know, for me, it was, again, about finding the heart of the story, you know, finding that thing that is universally relatable. And I think it's why a lot of, you know, black audience members love coming of age stories in general. Like we all love the karate kid. You know what I mean? Like we love stories of teenagers persevering because we can relate whether Mm -hmm. our situation was the same as that or vastly different because of where we're from. Uh, we can relate. And I wanted to find that same relatable thing in Charm City King. So, you know, I've said this before, when I broke it down, it's really about a, a story about a kid who wants to be cool. And that's something we can all relate to. And he wants to bike. Bo- I was born cool, though, so I don't even all right. know, well, I know what that feels like. So, this, so for everybody else, for everybody else, the movie might be relatable. But, you know, and, and so I, 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 it was it was great for me to depict sort of the the trials and tribulations and the innocence and also the temptations of black boyhood, because I think there's a lot of pressure on us at that age when we're transitioning from big kids to teenagers, a lot of pressure comes on all kids of all races, but especially when it comes with the challenges of black masculinity, those pressures can feel a lot more. So 
I was excited to expose the humanity of that character to make it universal, but also to do something really specific to black people at the same time. That's pretty dope. Shakri, yeah. we've had, we've had uh, Susan Kalechi Watson on the show and I'm a fan of this is us. So talk to me about the difference in writing for a sitcom like this is us. When you know, every episode will have millions of viewers and lots of critics and producing something like a documentary, which you've had a few of, that may be more of a slow burn that's directed for more of a, a niche audience. Yeah, well, I will say that there is no feeling that compares to the feeling of writing on something like a hit drama like like This Is Us, because you know um, that you know words that you're going to put in characters' mouths and storylines that you're going to create are going to be consumed by millions and millions mm -hmm. of people. Um, that is a, it, it comes with a certain responsibility and it, there's a certain joy in being able to do that, being able to express that as an artist. On the other hand, you know, the, the, the two documentary projects I made were both, uh, for PBS. They probably had an audience of hundreds and hundreds of people. And, <laughs> and, and, and I think, uh, but they were passion projects to me and they were also important. So you know, I think the difference is from a creative perspective, there is no difference. I mean, you approach it with the same amount of passion, the same amount of um, care. There's just a difference in terms of um, what the outcome, you know, is going to be. You know how many uh, eyeballs are going to be on it. Uh, and so for me, that's the only difference. But the approach is the same. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. What do you, I mean, tell me what you want to do. I mean, is there something out there that, I don't want to say that you're afraid to write, but you need somebody to take a risk with you on? You know, is there a genre that you want to write in that you haven't been able to? What, I mean, tell me what your mind, especially, and then I guess tie in after living through 2020, 2021, where we've had, a pandemic like 1918, uh, 
economic volatility like 1928 and a racial reckoning, which I use air quotes because I hate that term. But a ra- <laughs> it's a, a, a weird ra- term. <laughs> it is a weird term. It's only a reckoning for people who haven't really been dealing with this for a long period of time. Right. Um, but a racial reckoning like 1968, but you have all of that in one year. So talk to me about you know, what you guys want to do, the risk you want to take and how you go forward and that pressure you feel to do that, if there is any. Uh, yeah, I'll start. You know, I, I want to I run a show. You know, I want to create a TV show and run it. I want to become a producer who can lift up other writers and other stories. And I think that's really how I would like to tackle these issues, man, is by helping other people tell great stories that are really relevant to what's going on today. In terms of what I want to do personally, man, I would love to do a huge, sprawling, you know, ripped from the headlines of history show, you know, a, a docudrama limited series where I can really drill down on some of the things that we've experienced in the past few years, man, whether that's finding some very specific case of racial injustice, whether that's dealing with some intimate family drama that takes place inside of COVID and quarantine, I I would like to tell a real story over a long period of time. That would be very exciting to me personally. How close are we to getting you to do that? How close are we to getting you to realize that dream? You know what, man? It it feels like it takes one shot. You know, it takes one person to really invest in an idea and to and to get it off the ground. So, listen, man. I got you know. I'm like Shakri. I got a lot of different TV stuff in development. If one of those hit, you know, we could be talking about how I'm really actually doing what I just said. But it's something's got to something's got to get off the ground. Always plant those seeds. Yeah, yeah. I I'll just echo that real quick and say that. Uh, you know, the first thing that you brought up, Sherm, I think is true for, well, I know it's true for both of us, although we don't talk about it that often, is that I think our primary goal as Black screenwriters in Hollywood, but just in general, is connected to our purpose of trying to be of service to other people. That's really a, that's really a core goal for us. This is why we do the podcast, to try to be of service to other people on the way up. And um, I think secondarily, I'll just say that, you know, my most important project is always feels like it's the, it's always the one I'm working on, you know, oh, yeah. it's, or it's always, it's always a, or the next thing, you know? So for me, you know, I've been, I've been, my passion project is I've been working on this uh, limited series about Stokely Carmichael for ever. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's close. So we, oh, I hope dope. sometime I, you know, my, soon. Yeah. My, my son is named Stokely after Stokely Carmichael. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, my, my dad and Stokely were roommates at Howard before uh, Stokely oh, wow. graduated. And my dad dropped out. Yeah. I, we, my dad, Stokely is actually my, my big sister's godfather. Good close ah, family. Okay. Right, Shu, you, Shu, you got your first consultant for the project. I just, I just picked up your last name. Okay. There we go. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. So, how far are you away from, from making this thing a reality? As you say, you've been working on it for a while. I've been working on it for a while. It's, um, you know, I bought the rights to Peniel Joseph's book, um, which was the latest biography in 2014 or something. And, um, it's close. I mean, I, all I can say is that I hope by the summer there'll be some kind of announcement. And I, th- I hope we'll get moving. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's what's up. I just saw Spike's creating something with, uh, what's Spike cooking up? I can't remember what it was. He got a, he got a news. Is it Stoke? It's not Stokely. I don't think so, but who knows? I mean, you know, it's coming soon. But we're trying to get first out the gate. but uh, Get first out the gate. Get first yeah. out the gate. Look, I, I now Sherman, if I'm not mistaken, if I Black as Night, what's it about? When can we see it and where will we be able to see it? Talk to people about that. 
Yeah. So actually, we don't have a release date yet. This was produced by, uh, of course, the the horror maestro Jason Blumhouse at Blumhouse, and it's going to come out on Amazon Prime. I'm very excited about it. It's a story about a young girl in the South Bronx, young black woman who uh, teams up with her friends to fight an invasion of vampires. And it's a lot about uh, colorism, self-pride, and really her learning to find her confidence throughout how, how this you, crazy summer she has. How do you integrate colorism in a vampire? <laughs> that because, seems like a heavy theme, but you just dropped the heavy theme in there. All right. Well, if we want to get deep into it, we find out throughout the course of the movie that melanin actually helps vampires be protected from the sunlight. So oh. black vampires actually have an added layer of power that uh, other vampires don't have. And so, but it's also, you know, she we start the movie where she is a, a girl who sort of lacking confidence a little bit because she's dark skinned and she gets picked on and she feels like she's watching uh, other light skinned people get better opportunities for her and, and be more popular than her. But she learns that a lot of that is in her own head and that when she projects confidence, she can do anything she wants. So I hope that it's an inspiring story. I love to tell stories Man, it about sounds women. Scary. You got the, you got the twins hot screaming already in the background. So it sounds <laughs> like it's a, it's a scary, it's a scary, it's a scary project. No, Jason is always, is always working on Blumhouse is always on the forefront of cutting issues and they uniquely, they transcend genres. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. They, um, you know, I think they've really struck gold with sort of the social thriller and the social horror. Obviously get out was a huge one for them. And this, uh, this program that I'm doing with them, the, this, uh, series of movies that they're putting out on prime are all dedicated to minority voices working within the thriller or horror space. So you're going to get a little bit of, you know, a little bit of fright, but you're also going to get a little bit of empowerment. I think you'll get a few laughs along the way and and hopefully it all comes together for a really satisfying and entertaining project. Black as night, check out for it. Hopefully it comes out later this year. Yeah. Black as night. That's dope. I mean, you, you were, you were talking about, you know, planting your seeds so your opportunity would hit. That sounds like it might hit already. That sounds like that might be something (laughs) special already. But you know what? The thing about this career is, and Shu, I know will back me up on this is you have to have like, five or six irons in the fire because as quick as they can hit and you can get that one thing that takes you to the next level, five of them can disappear tomorrow. If for no reason other than it didn't work out, you know, funding fell through an actor fell through the studio lost interest. It could still be the great same script, but you just might not be able to get it off the ground for whatever reason. So I have a lot of irons in the fire. Shoot us too. Hopefully one, you know, it's a game of numbers. Hopefully one hits and we can use it to propel us to the next level. Man, bro, yeah, this is unique because I also had Lee Davenport on, who uh, who's a, a screenwriter as well. Got a few projects out uh, right now, and a few. She just came off uh, the success of the Wendy Williams biopic that was done mm-hmm. on Lifetime re- recently, and she mm-hmm. has a new new show on Showtime. But it's interesting hearing about Black folk in the industry, and I got a, y- a lot of young people that listen to this show. A lot of young people who are in politics, but you know they they also like to hear about other industries, etc. Mm-hmm. If they want to go into screenwriting or want to tell the unique political story about maybe you know Bobby Rush or somebody like that, talk. How do you get in the business, and how do you start to make your craft better? What's your advice? Not not, hey, son, go to school, but what's your advice on how to get good at this and actually get opportunities in this game? It is pretty simple. I mean, I think the first step is pretty simple, at least. You you get in by 
first step is become really, really good. And I think the, um, the, the first step of becoming really, really good is to learn the fundamentals. I know it sounds really cliche, but to learn the fundamentals of writing, whether that's picking up a book from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, whatever, on screenwriting, there's several, like consuming those. And then I think the second are classes, workshops, writers groups, whatever. All of that is not necessarily school. And then I think the second step to that is you must write. Because in order to get to writing well, you have to write crap first. And so you have to sort of gird yourself against the self-doubt or whatever it is to get pushed past that, to be able to just write and write and write until uh, you are really, really good. That's the first step. I know Sherman's going to tell me the rest of the steps. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm trying I just to figure out how do you, Yeah, I was like, how do you become a good fucking writer? That's what I heard <laughs> earlier. <You> ha- <laughs> first of all, you have to write, man. You know what? Yeah. You know how many people come up to me and show with ideas? And they talk to me about the idea and I go, yeah, you're probably never going to write it. And they don't. They never even open up the laptop or get the pen and the pad to even start writing because an idea is easy. Execution is what's difficult. So you have to write every single day. You have to be a fiend for it. You have to wake up and want to do it. You have to, if you're working the job, you have to go take your break, eat your lunch real quick and keep writing. Like that's the sort of intensity you have to have. And then you have to do it day after day after day and year after year after year. And then, and then when your pen game is at its peak and you're like a lone samurai who cannot be defeated, then you wade into the industry and you show people what you got, but it takes a long, long time to get there. And it takes a real serious commitment. You know, the path to, to even a screenwriting career, because you know, Mm -hmm. Shu and I are not at the top of the industry, but the path to even a screenwriting career is littered with people who started a script and never finished or had an idea and never did. Who are screenwriters? If you, you know, we always talk about producers, like maybe a Lawrence Bender or somebody like that, who's at the top, Mm -hmm. right? But who are screenwriters that every time they pick up something, one is a golden pen, they getting Mm -hmm. paid prime dollar. They're always booked up. Who are those black screenwriters in that upper echelon of the industry right now that we may not even know about? Because a lot of times these names aren't names that we hear often. Yeah, I got a few. Sure, you want to start? <laughs> no, you want to start. I think you're gonna. I I think the first name out the wait wait the first the, the first name out the gate for car is Sherman A. Payne. That's the. First I mean, I was gonna go with who's number two and three because if he yeah. wasn't gonna name Sherman Payne, then I, this whole discussion was moot. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, on the, if you listen when you guys when you guys check out the podcast, you'll understand that I am the greatest screenwriter of all time. That's how I introduce myself at the start of every podcast. The acronym is G-SWOTE. I am the living embodiment of the Courier font. Everybody else is playing for second place. Shukri, I love you. Good luck trying to get to second place. Uh, In terms of other writers that I love, you know, I'm thinking about who I think is really doing it now, man. And at the top of my list is uh, Michaela Cole, who did I May Destroy You on HBO. I think that she can't miss right now. You know, um, in terms of other people making noise that I love, of course, Donald Glover just signed a big deal at Amazon. He's, of course, a multi-hyphenate, but I'm excited. Atlanta is very important to me, as it is to a lot of Black people across the country, young Black people. I think he's going to do crazy stuff next. You know, and then you go for somebody like, I think, uh, the, the homie Kemp Powers, who had an amazing Kemp year. Powers, yeah. yeah. Amazing year with One Night in Miami and also Soul, which I watched with my son and we love. So um, those, those are the names that jump out for me. I don't know, sure if you have anybody else to add. 
Those I mean, Mikhail is certainly at the top of my list right right now. Also, um, and I like those names you mentioned. I would also mention Issa Rae, man, because I think both as to watch that show Insecure develop the way it did, um, mm-hmm. and where it has ended up, and where I think she's going to go next, I think is really interesting. Um, well, you name, we're I'm naming sh- a lot of black women out there, though. Attica Locke is also dope too. She's yes. at the top. She's 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 in oh. there too. And um, uh, what the heck is uh, Rada Blank going to do next? Because that was fantastic. I mean, what an artist sort of coming out. And I can't wait to see what she does next. So, yeah, absolutely. That's what's up. Well, man, fellas, I, I am just excited to have you on. If y'all could work with one uh, director, actor, who would it be? Off top, just one. Oh, that's so tough. Sure, you go first. And you know they listening, man. I got Reggie Hullin out there listening. I got director. yeah, one actor director. I mean, it don't. I mean, you can say one actor or director. Who would it be? Uh, man, right now I'm uh, I'm coming uh, high off of the uh, the Judas and the Black Messiah movie, which Ooh. I loved. Yeah, and was, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, man. And you know, uh, holler at me, man. We could cook something up great for you to star in. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is whack, but I'm gonna take it old, man. I'm gonna take it old. I still would like to work with Denzel. Oh, I thought you were yeah. gonna say Pam Greer. I was like, that no. ain't, ain't nothing wrong. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You, you mean that black exploitation is a little bit backwards? But you, if you can write it, I'll watch it. Nah, Uncle Denzel still brings it, man. Uncle yeah, Denzel man. still brings. Let, it. Let and he could direct I, too. And he could direct. Yeah, can direct. I just found myself watching Judas, and I found myself watching. Um, I care a lot. I don't know if y'all seen I care a lot. It was the uh, new I want to see it on Not Netflix, yet. right? On Netflix. Watch it out. You then I want you to DM me, hit me up on the side <laughs> and let me know how you thought about that screenwriting. There was a piece right. in there where the screenwriter definitely was high and the shark was officially <laughs> jumped. But, <laughs> yeah. But definitely. That's what's up, fellas, man. Y'all good luck in Hollywood, man. I'm glad to have y'all on for a few minutes today. I'm glad we were able to work it out. Y'all are two of the biggest and brightest. And then I want people when you guys blow up and which is like this summer, like right around the corner, like right now, the the flame is already the dynamite is already lit. I want people to say they were on a Bakari Sellers podcast and hit me up about that Stokely Carmichael flick, man. My daddy's still oh. alive. He'd love to talk to you about it for sure. One hundred percent. All right, fellas. Thank, thank you all for joining having us, us today. Man. All right, man. Be yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Man, that was a fun episode, a little outside of my box, but I thoroughly enjoyed my brothers for coming on. Shakri and Sherman, thank you so much. Uh, today is a day that I'm proud to be a South Carolina Gamecock. Shout out to Don Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks for winning their sixth SEC tournament championship yesterday. Now, I want you all to know that being a champion in the SEC, which is the most difficult Conference in women's basketball is damn hard. So shout out to Don Staley and her crew, particularly Aaliyah Boston, who was a tournament MVP, Zaya Cook, Destiny Henderson, who made the all-tournament team, and Lily Grissett. Please, please, we're praying uh, that your ankle, foot, whatever it is, gets well soon. You know, these girls have been through a lot. 32-1 last year, they were running on all cylinders only to be stifled by COVID. This year, the uncertainty of of what was going to happen, playing in an up-and-down year. They stuck together, they fought, and these girls took action. These girls, like many in the WNBA, are leading the state of South Carolina in fighting for social justice. They're taking knees so that we can stand. They're standing up proud and showing my little girl, Sadie and Kai, what it means not to just be a dope, dope South Carolinian, but to be a leader in a movement. 
So shout out to all of these ladies, one through 10, who came up, showed out, and who won in Greenville, South Carolina. It's now on to the NCAA tournament where we got some unfinished business. So NC State, we see you. Paige and UConn, we see you. But for tonight, tomorrow, this week, until the tournament is announced, we're going to celebrate this SEC championship. Don Staley, you did it again. And that's that on that. We'll be back next week with more. Oh, Lord, we'll be back Thursday with more of the Bukhari Sellers podcast. Oh,